What is up, family? It's Dr. Dale, the author of How to Raise a Doctor and the author of Pre-Med Mondays. Both books are available on Amazon.com. And you are listening to the Black Men in White Coats podcast, a place where black male clinicians have the platform to share their stories with people like you. Super excited about this week's episode. Really good episode. A little bit on the longer side compared to what you guys are used to, but it's great stuff. You're going to want to listen to all of it. Um, Before we get into it, I just want to let you guys know, I sent out the survey. Some of you guys might have got it about my book. So, you know, I'm writing Black Men and White Coats, 100 Rules of Success. And that book is based on this podcast. So what I did was, you know, a bit ago, I said, I said, I want to make a podcast because people need to hear our voices. We can be a real force for change. People need to know that we exist. We can be role models for the next generation. So I set out making this podcast and it's great, right? Everybody loves this podcast. That's why you listen to it right now. All the feedback we get about this podcast is great. But what I noticed was so many jewels in here, so many diamonds and gems of success and wisdom in these podcasts, way more than I ever imagined we're going to get when I started this podcast. And I thought to myself, we've got to do more with it. i got to put it together in a book so parents can buy it for your children and children can read through it and let it be a, a, a growth tool. So not just like a story or a narrative. We have enough of those, right? I want it to be a growth tool. So that's what I did. I wrote this book, Black Men and White Coast 100 Rules for Success as a growth tool. So what you'll be able to do is read one section or one rule daily, meditate on that and actually apply it to your life. That's how it's written. So it's really, I'm really excited about it. It's a really good book, a lot of great wisdom. And it's for adults, it's for kids, it's for pre-meds, for doctors, for everybody. And what it is, is just taking the gems of wisdom that we're getting out of these episodes. Like just, I challenge, just listen to this episode today and see how many gems of wisdom you can pull out of it. And that's what the book is. We take the gems of wisdom out, put it together in a book, and then we challenge you. We, we make rules out of them, rules of success, and then we challenge you. And if you go through it on a daily basis, you will grow so much. Just trust me on this, right? Because I've, I've, I've gone through these rules. You will grow so much. It is amazing. And I think that every young black male in the country should have this, right? That's just what I believe. I, I think that that will help them grow leaps and bounds. But it's coming soon. The book is coming soon. I'm done writing it. It's just going through the publishing process with the editors and all that stuff right now. Okay. Uh, what else do I want to say? Diversemedicine.com. If you're not a member of diversemedicine.com and you're a doctor, you're a medical student, you're a pre-med, you're a nurse, whatever, you're in the health professions, make sure you get on diversemedicine.com. Join the community. We're growing this community. And for the pre-meds, we have medical schools on it that actually recruit you guys, right? And we're growing this base. Last week, we had about eight new medical schools join. And they're on the site looking at your profiles, recruiting you guys directly. So we need all the pre-meds on there. Definitely the doctors. Love for you guys to be on there, helping us mentor these students, you know, just dropping wisdom for them, right? We want to build a big community to help the next generation succeed and have a safe place for us just to communicate and network together. All right, let me get into this week's episode because I'm excited about it. I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited. I just finished listening to it and it's a wonderful episode. I'll tell you, this so this is Dr. Earl Stewart. Dr. Earl Stewart is an internist, an internal medicine physician. He's practicing about an hour and a half outside of Atlanta in a rural community, which is really cool. We need more doctors to do that. He is Mary trained. He's Brown trained. And apparently, I mean, obviously just going to those two institutions, you know, he has to be an excellent physician. And he and I are actually friends with, um, we have a mutual acquaintance or a mutual friend, I should I should say, Dr. Michael Kelso. Dr. Kelso was the very first guest on Black Men and White Coats. And he's a great guy. We've been texting back and forth today. He's one of my very good friends. So Dr. Earl Stewart, 
excellent episode here. I'm going to tell you, I like a lot of things about this episode. And I'll say, I'll say something at the end, but, because I don't want to ruin the episode. But, you know, the there's one saying that he said that stuck with me more than anything else this episode. And what he said, he was talking about mentoring people who look like him. So mentoring black men or minorities or whatever, you know, just mentoring. And he says, he's come to learn that it's not an option to mentor. It's an obligation. Ooh, wait, let that sink in for a second. It's not an option to mentor. It's an obligation, right? Obligation. And sometimes we get into the situation where we say, oh, I don't have time to mentor. You know, I'm too busy. And like, no, uh-uh, uh-uh. You're not allowed to say that. If you're a doctor, you are not allowed to say that because too many people have given you too many things to help you get to where you're at for you to dare say you're not going to help somebody else. For you to dare say you're not going to help somebody else. Now, I don't get too riled up about this stuff, but that's one thing that gets me riled up is when people look back and say you're not going to help and you don't have time to mentor, get out of here with that, man. Get out of here with that. Right? Don't, man, just, just no excuses. Just get out of here with that. Right? So kudos to Dr. Stewart for putting it in as simple of terms as possible. I love what he said. It's not an option. It is an obligation. You have to pay for it. That was my take-home message from this episode. Actually, that's one of them. The second one's really good. I'm going to say it at the end. I don't want to spoil it for you. I want you guys to pick up on the theme throughout the whole episode here. Wonderful episode. Check it out. Enjoy the whole thing. Dr. Earl Stewart. I'm Earl Stewart. I'm an internal medicine specialist in Thomaston, Georgia. It's a rural community that's about an hour and a half south of Atlanta. And in that community, I practice both inpatient medicine as well as outpatient internal medicine um, in a private practice setting, focusing, of course, on primary care. Uh, for the patient population. My story begins in Augusta, Georgia, where I grew up. I was born and raised there. I had um, both parents essentially in the household, uh, though during various times of my childhood, my father was in and out. Um, we now know uh, that he suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder, and at times, would have violent outbursts as well as um, engage in alcohol and, and various drugs. But um, I remember for the majority of my childhood being supported predominantly by a single mother who, though we were raised in the inner city, my sisters and I, and um, basically in the shadows of the Medical College of Georgia, one of the oldest medical institutions in the United States, and certainly the South, um, pretty much had everything that we needed growing up. My mother was a stellar provider, um, and we really didn't identify ourselves as being disadvantaged, but um, in sociologic terms, we probably certainly were. Um, if you look at you know, our socioeconomic status at the time. 
my story is one of basically having a good village. Um, though I grew up in the inner city, I had the love and support of both of my parents. I um, had a very stern and very devout grandmother who grabbed me early in life and uh, sort of exposed me to the church, the African-American church, which has always been and continues to be a very centripetal force in my life. Um, I have always believed that medicine is a ministry. That's the way I approach it. Um, and not, not by any means do I place my own religious beliefs before those of any patient, and it doesn't really bias me in terms of how I treat any patient, um, but it is a guiding force for me in every aspect of my life, including professionally. And um, at my church, uh, my home church, I call it Macedonia Baptist Church, now known as Macedonia Church of Augusta, is where I really got the first exposure to loving God, service, serving others, evangelism, going out in the community and essentially doing evangelism, but also developing a strong relationship with people and loving those people who may not have necessarily been considered to be biological uh, relatives, but they were kindred spirits that I could identify with because we were of a similar mindset. Uh, a Christian mindset, uh, religiously. Honestly and truly, uh, being involved in the church really gave me insight into health through service and providing health in some respect through service. Um, I was a junior deacon at Macedonia when I was coming through and coming up and um, would go out with the deacons, the senior deacons, and serve uh, those who were basically living at area nursing homes throughout the Augusta, Richmond County area, parishioners, fellow church members who were living uh, in those facilities. And that was really my first introduction, even at the age of 10 and age of 12 of healthcare and seeing it in action, uh, seeing nurses in Ashkins, uh, not really seeing doctors at that time um, practice their craft, but really going out for religious purposes and to administer the sacraments of communion, um, namely communion, um, and providing you know, prayer as well as engaging in prayer and uh, singing hymns with many of the sick and shut-in members of our church, as well as going to their homes sometimes. They gave me a first introduction to being in that sort of environment. And uh, that continued to inspire me that I could, throughout my life, combine a love of God with a love of providing services to maintain physical health um, in my career. And I always knew from the very beginning that I wanted to do something 
um, with my life that would provide service to people by helping them help themselves, not really being the only one who does all of the provision of anything, but engaging in something meaningful that would help people better their own lives. Um, I excelled really early on in math and science. I was an, I was an academic. I, I loved to learn just about everything. I loved reading. I remember going in elementary school to uh, the book fairs they were customarily have and just buying all kinds of books and reading them and learning from them. And my mother often, you know, notes that she really was my first teacher, um, you know, trying to get me into preschool, uh, pre-K in Augusta. And at the time, she made too much money uh, to uh, allow me to be admitted. So she just taught, basically taught me preschool at home before I was accepted to kindergarten and public school. The majority of my education primarily uh, the primary years from K through 12 was in public school. Um, I went to a public school um, for elementary school and it was in middle school where I really kind of solidified what I wanted to do with my life by basically visiting uh, a very well-known and very uh, revered high school in Augusta, Richmond County, and that high school is, is A.R. Johnson Health Sciences and Engineering Magnet High School. A.R. Johnson, interestingly, is named after the first licensed African-American teacher in the state of Georgia, Augustus Robeson Johnson. And um, I didn't know that at the time. I got to know that once I was accepted to A.R. Johnson, which um, interestingly is a health science and engineering magnet high school. Really before I even considered going into healthcare of any type. Um, I was being groomed essentially to be a, an attorney. Uh, I looked up to a well-respected judge, African-American judge who grew up in my inner city neighborhood uh, in Augusta. Um, he uh, would visit often and I just really respected him. I saw how he interacted with the neighbors. I saw how he was a product of that village and um, wanted to be like him. So I would talk to him and, you know, uh, learn from him. Every time he visited the area, uh, I would you know, spend some time with him and just try to be in his presence as much as I could. And um, I remember we had career day once. And uh, my elementary school, one of my elementary schools, John W. Halton Elementary School, and I sort of dressed up. I put on a blue suit and a light blue shirt and a, a blue striped tie and said that uh, I was going to be a lawyer. Um, I want to be just like Judge Carl Brown. And um, I was the only one, interestingly, during that time to to dress up for career day and in a school of probably well over 600 students. And uh, it was noticed and um, the encouragement that I got on that particular day so many years ago really you know, told me that this was something good to strive to be a professional person and to do something that would render service to uh, mankind and that would render service to the public. I um, remember 
and several years later having discussions with Judge Brown on a deeper note and um, being told by him that at times in the career that he had achieved, at the level of his career that he had achieved, that um, he would not encourage me to go into any sort of legal judgeship. And then I asked him why, because he said sometimes his life is threatened just by doing his job. And I thereafter decided that that's not what I wanted to do. I really didn't want my life to be threatened uh, by doing something that I love, because he said sometimes his job requires for him to uh, sentence um, those who have committed criminal offenses and basically, um, you know, sometimes those uh, offenders would threaten his life. And so he always had to have 24 hour protection by marshals and such. So um, a few years after that, you know, I was had matriculated through middle school at East Augusta Middle School. And while I was at East Augusta, I continued to excel, continued to do well, continued to uh, be involved in the church. And um, it was around the time I was about to finish up eighth grade that I um, learned about A.R. Johnson High School and that they were accepting um, applications for admission. And uh, so I applied. And uh, as a part of going to A.R. Johnson, you know, they offered tours uh, and it was on the tour at A.R. Johnson. I met a student. Um, he was a Caucasian student and he was basically teaching us about the heart. He had this beautiful model, plastic model of the heart. And uh, I was just enthralled with how you know, well, he explained that at his level of really just, you know, being in high school. And I wanted to be like that. And that was really where I first developed an interest in studying the heart, an interest in learning more about the cardiovascular system and um, so forth and so on. And so I uh, applied to A.R. Johnson, got accepted, and studied on the health careers curriculum in addition to doing traditional coursework. Did very well at A.R. Johnson. I did a lot of things. I was in several different clubs. Um, A.R. Johnson was this beautiful experiment in drawing students from all kinds of socioeconomic backgrounds throughout the county and basically exposing them to either engineering technical um, exposure or either to healthcare related exposure. And initially when the health careers curriculum at A.R. Johnson was established, it was established for the purpose of encouraging you not to necessarily go into medicine, but to go into nursing. And so uh, many of the health careers, just about every last one of them, uh, the health careers teachers were nurses by trade. So they taught at A.R. Johnson, but they also continued to practice nursing. So there was this wonderful experiment in uh, college preparatory level training for basically encouraging someone to go in a specific career on a specific, specific track. And, uh, and I just loved it. I loved it. I had, uh, uh, you know, some church members who taught there. They encouraged me to come there. And I loved it. I ended up graduating uh, number three in my class of 100. 
I remember also uh, graduating and being voted most likely to succeed one of two a student who was voted most likely to succeed. And uh, it was further at A.R. Johnson where I got exposure to health careers, to phlebotomy, to medical technology, to um, first, you know, uh, utilizing a microscope, um, to um, learning more about the sciences and enjoying learning about the sciences, among many other things. And it was really, I think, what was most important at A.R. Johnson, I got the exposure to get out of the classroom to to basically not just strictly be a student in the traditional sense, but also be a student in the experiential sense in terms of getting out of the classroom and shadowing physicians. And so I remember the one of the very first physicians I shadowed uh, was Dr. Mary DeHughes, who was African-American. She's a sister. And she um, she practiced or uh, neurology at the time. And I remember learning about uh, a baclofen pump and um, just, you know, spending a couple of hours as a part of a practicum with her uh, for one of my health careers courses um, was amazing. I saw an African-American woman practicing neurology in high school and I was enthralled and uh, wanted to learn more. I also remember shadowing um, a patient care assistant in uh, at the Medical College of Georgia. And most of the early shadowing that I had was at hospitals and clinics in the Augusta area, including uh, shadowing some physicians at the Medical College of Georgia and University Hospital. As well as then St. Joseph's Hospital, which is now University Hospital of Somerville, and um, really spending time with Dr. Hughes was important. I only spent, I think, less than four weeks with her. Um, then I went on to shadow in pediatrics. Uh, 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 a lady by the name of Hollis Hollis, and she was a patient care assistant uh, on the pediatric or in the pediatric clinic at Medical College of Georgia on the pediatric floor and of the ambulatory care center. I spent a lot of time with her, me and a couple of other students at the time. Um, learned a lot from her about rooming patients um, and subsequently um, also spent some time shadowing an echocardiographer an echotech at Medical College of Georgia who was a very sweet lady who uh, exposed me to more about uh, left ventricular hypertrophy and just learning about these important diseases and concepts and seeing patients with them and spending time just in that environment, I think, was extremely important. Um, and further, just, um, you know, continuing to just gain that additional exposure. At A.R. Johnson, we learned medical terminology from nurses. Uh, we learned medical abbreviations. We learned how to uh, make up a bed. We learned how to place a Foley catheter. These are all things that we learned. We learned how to phlebotomize patients. Uh, it was just an excellent experiment, an excellent uh, introduction to health careers that was very comprehensive in some respect, kind of early on, even before we even went to college. And um, But it really... 
even all up to this point, I really had not yet seen African-American men practicing medicine. The very first African-American man who I spent time with in his office was Dr. Ronald Brown. He was a gastroenterologist and still is a gastroenterologist, well-respected in Augusta at the University Hospital. Still as a part of my practicum experience at A.R. Johnson. It was in his office where I saw people who looked like me. His wife was practice manager, still is. There were several African-American female nurses. He had a very diverse patient population who all depended on him to help provide solace and reassurance about gastrointestinal illnesses. I shadowed him in the endoscopy suite, basically being a fly on the wall while he was doing colonoscopies. And meanwhile, he was, you know, throwing out terms like squamous and columnar and stuff I had never heard of at that point. And, uh, but it prompted me to want to learn more and want to be like him. And that was really where I honestly and truly saw somebody who looked like me practicing medicine. That was my first experience being that close to a black man in a white coat. I saw how he talked about God. I knew he was very involved in his church. And I wanted to be like him. And that was really my first introduction, not only to a black man in a white coat, but realizing that what I really and truly wanted to be, I needed to see it. And that's one of the tenets of my own engagement, even now in mentorship of black males who are pre-medical, who are pre-pre-medical, and who are even in medical school, and who are even residents, and who want to continue to pursue careers in medicine and apply to medical school. I strongly believe that what we as African-American men see is what will be. That's extremely important for us because a lot of times many of us never get that exposure to seeing somebody like us doing what it is that we may have very high prospects of doing. So that was very important to me. I spent less than four weeks, I believe almost four weeks with Dr. Brown at first. And um, then I moved further on to cardiology, which has always essentially been my first love. And it was because um, that was where I spent a lot of time really and truly during my high school years shadowing in cardiology just because it interested me so much. And uh, it just made sense to me 
um, just everything I learned about it, everything I read about it, everything I studied, everything that the cardiologists said that I shadowed, it just made sense to me. And even when I shadowed the echo cardiographer, the echo tech at Medical College of Georgia, uh, now known as Augusta University Health Center or Medical Center, it just made sense. And so I um, probably at this point had the greatest solidification, really the greatest solidification that medicine, particularly internal medicine, cardiology, was what I wanted to do with my life. And that was when I met and shadowed and spent time with and received encouragement from Dr. Mac Andrew Bowman and his partner um, in his practice, Dr. Michael Stewart Holman. These guys were amazing. These guys, and they still are, um, and I want to speak about them in the past tense, but these guys were absolutely amazing. These were well-kept men. They were well-groomed. They were well-spoken. Um, again, in their office, um, they saw a, a diverse uh, population of patients of various ages, of various ethnic and racial backgrounds. Uh, they had a, a variety of different staff. They had a huge office. They were very well respected in the community. And I heard Dr. Bowman so much talk about God. And I'm like, this is it. This is what I wanted to. I want to be like him when I grow up. And essentially, I feel like I've always wanted to be like him. And I saw how he interacted just basically with his bedside manner, but not also with his bedside manner, but... His interaction with various people around the hospital, how he spent time and shook hands with the custodians, how he chatted with the IT people, how he would go into the cath lab, who's an interventional cardiologist, and just, uh, you know, everybody would be glad to see him, how he would put the patients at ease, how he would grab and hug his patients and, you know, uh, sometimes kiss them on the cheek, you know, the, the ladies who he knew and, and who he um, had taken care of for years. That, to me, was really the epitome of a fine physician, a stellar clinician. And that was my initial exposure to a cardiologist. And he and Dr. Brown and Dr. Holman, of course, all these guys know each other. And then I just wanted to be like them. And, you know, and the beautiful thing about it, they wanted me to be a part of their professional community. They believed in the importance of reaching back. They believed in the importance of encouraging African-American young men who express an interest in the health professions, particularly medicine, or even their specialties, to pursue it. At times, Dr. Bowman uh, challenged, you know, like, are you sure this is what you want to do? Dr. Holman, you know, challenged, you know, 
you got to do this, this, and this. And it essentially kind of gave me the roadmap to what I need to do. I remember one of the first assignments that Dr. Bowman gave me a lot of assignments, even as a, um, a high school student, he told me to write about why I want to go into medicine. Little did I know that I would have to really do that when I got time, got ready to apply to uh, medical school. But he was basically, he didn't call it this, but he was basically preparing me to write a personal statement. And so I wrote it and he read it and he was like, man, I see so much of myself in you. And that just made me feel good. And we've developed a relationship, me with all of these guys I just mentioned, that has persisted and consisted of me really looking up to them, but really still now, at, even at this stage of my career, emulating them, taking what I've learned from them by seeing them do what they do and applying it to my own practice of medicine. And my God, I have been so grateful to them and I continu continually am for the initial exposure that they gave me for what God has called me to do for the duration and primarily for the rest of my life. After high school, I went on to college, went to Mercer, continued to shadow it at, at some free clinics, excelled, graduated from Mercer's cum laude graduate. I uh, majored in biology, pre-medical focus, minored in uh, chemistry as well as Latin, and um, just loved the entire collegiate experience. And it was really at Mercer where I um, kind of got one of my first setbacks. Um, because I really didn't understand, I really didn't understand the importance of early on having a roadmap for what I needed to do precisely in c college. But I was fortunate to connect with the pre-health advisor um, and basically follow the instructions that they gave me for a timeline. I was late to the timeline. Um, I knew I wanted to go into medical school. I knew I needed to, you know, have a good, strong footing in the sciences, uh, in math, and and knowing how to communicate and educate myself professionally on things like, you know, public speaking. But um, I didn't come in with the with the knowledge that I really needed to have a roadmap or follow a timeline for going to medical school. And um, I really didn't prepare for the MCAT. And I remember, you know, doing some questions and studying and everything. But the first time I took the MCAT, I made a 15, which was a blow to me. And I really didn't understand, you know, listen, I've, you know, I made A's, B's here in college. I've always excelled in high school. Why in the world did I not do well on the MCAT? Well, um because I really hadn't prepared for it and preparation and knowing where you're going is, is key. Even if you don't know exactly how to get there, at least utilize your resources to prepare for that point, to prepare for those important uh, stages that you have to overcome in order to get to your destiny. And I really, um, 
benefited tremendously from pipeline programs. And I learned of one in my own hometown. Um, the At the time, it was called the SEAT program, the Student Education Enrichment Program. And um, I applied to it, spent several summers there. And um, it was really a godsend for me because these were grant-funded programs that um, primarily African-Americans ran at health institutions um, or health education institutions such as medical schools and medical uh, universities. And uh, here they are working to recruit more African-Americans and those from who are essentially underrepresented in medicine um, persons into the medical profession. And uh, I didn't even know at the time that they had a, you know, sort of a pipeline program that was available uh, in high school. I just didn't know about it. It was not, uh, wasn't told about it. I really had never heard about it. But when I got to college, I, I availed myself of that opportunity. And it was there where I, number one, connected with uh, other African-Americans who wanted to go into medicine, um, uh, met one of my, probably my best friend there, Dr. Christopher Jackson, who is a chief resident at uh, UT Memphis. And uh, we grew up just a stone's throw from each other, uh, knew of each other somewhat. I really knew of him through our engagement in church-related things, church, church youth events throughout uh, our area of Georgia, but really um, had never met him. And we connected and we have been best friends since that time. And honestly and truly, SEEP allowed me to uh, continue to shadow physicians. I continued to shadow Dr. Bowman. I continued to shadow Dr. Holman. Um, it gave me uh, MCAT preparations. It gave me um, an introduction and an insight into what going to medical school would be like from a financial perspective. It prepared me for the degree of subject matter that I would be learning in medical school. I mean, we had the same professors who taught medical students at um, Medical College of Georgia uh, teaching us during the summers uh, things like biochemistry and, you know, evaluation of medical literature. And that was really those programs were so crucial because honestly and truly a lot of what I learned during that time helped me to excel tremendously in uh, medical school and continued to help me to excel in college um, until such point that I was able to graduate from college and matriculate into medical school. So um, I retook the MCAT, got a higher score. I believe I ended up with a score of about uh, 25 and uh, did well in the writing section after engaging in seat for two consecutive summers and I just absolutely positively appreciated everything that they did for me. So um, I went through the whole medical school application process, ended up getting accepted to my Harry Medical College in Nashville, Tennessee. Many other places turned me down uh, because I really didn't meet an MCAT score of 30 or above, but Meharry gave me a chance. And um, I had never heard of Meharry before. All I knew was Medical College of Georgia. I had spent a lot of time there shadowing. I had spent a lot of time um, there uh, in college and uh, with the SEAT program. And I also um, knew that, you know, several other physicians that I shadowed early in my life 
had gone there. So that was really all I knew. And I was also a patient there. I was a, uh, a pediatric patient there. My, several of my family members were there. That's all I knew. So I always wanted to go to, to medical school at medical college at Georgia. But unfortunately, they did not accept me, uh, even though I, um, you know, had basically spent the first part of my life there, my early years there. Uh, they prepared me, but they did not accept me, unfortunately. So I was accepted to Meharry Medical College. And um, that was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me because even further solidifying my love of God and my love of practicing medicine and engaging and providing physical health uh, as a ministry, uh, Meharry sort of solidified that. Meharry has a model of... Um, love of God through service to mankind. And I was like, oh, wow. So not only do you expose me to uh, a plethora of African-Americans from different socioeconomic backgrounds, yet again, who want to go to, um, to this school, who want to be physicians, but you also incorporated our education, our exposure on a faith-based foundation. And um, I just could not have been in a better place because I continue to see physicians who look like me, professors with PhDs who look like me. Um, I saw a little bit of that at Mercer, but not nearly to the degree uh, as I saw at Meharry, I mean, at Mercer at the time, we probably had, you know, uh, less than 10 professors throughout the entire undergraduate c component of uh, such a large university who we could identify as being African-American. At uh, Meharry, I saw black MDs. I saw black PhDs. I saw black DDSs. And it was really an amazing place. Um, developed uh, lifelong friends. I um, studied, excelled, uh, graduated with multiple honors and commendations, graduated Gold Humanism Honor Society, and just loved the entire experience and um, relished it to the degree of studying, learning uh, from people like me and seeing a physician who was actually Caucasian pray with his patients really exposed me early on to how to put one's faith in the practice, not to force it on any patient, but how to be comfortable with your faith in engaging in the ministry of health and engaging in the practice of medicine. And that was absolutely amazing to me. Um, went on from Meharry, went to, um, matched at, um, Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island. Brown prepared me, uh, to be, be a physician leader, as I so often say. The, the training was comprehensive. It was consummate. Um, I recognized that I was training, uh, among some of the best and brightest, and I felt, that through it all, I could hold my own. And I did hold my own, and I was able to graduate, um, uh, de developed 
some wonderful relationships there in Providence, Rhode Island. Developed some excellent lifelong relationships with many who I trained with. And I just relished and enjoyed the entire experience. So the more of the story here, I really have not had any area of my training that I really didn't like. But I really and truly relished it all. I enjoyed it. And even from the very beginning, the learning. Medicine is a profession that's devoted to learning. And uh, what better profession can you enter where you can be, be taught, you can teach, you can continue to learn and keep your brain cells fresh, you can incorporate your faith, but you can also make a difference, not only in an individual patient's life, but also in the health and the life, if you will, of a community. There is no greater profession than the, the, the practice of medicine in any form or in any fashion because we're able to do all of that. And we're able to enter a room and put a patient at ease. Uh, there are times when we have to give bad news. There are times when we give good news. It's it's really the most consummate profession because there is so much that you can do in it and there's so much you can do with it. And really it was there at the level of my residency training where I understood that it's important for me to continue to reach back and bring other brothers into this profession because I really at Brown was one of the only African-American residents there at the time. Um, probably throughout my entire training, there was less than 10. And the beautiful thing about Brown is that some of the a couple of the residents who came before me saw the need, who were uh, URIMs, underrepresented in medicine, and they were Hispanic as well as African-American, founded an organization called the Brown Minority House Deaf Association that was devoted to fostering some degree of a community there. And uh, one of the things that we always saw as important was basically mentorship. And so um, we engaged in that, and I was fortunate to spend some time with some students there, one of which who I'm immensely proud of, Kwesi Lillard. Uh, Kwesi has gone on uh, to be accepted to the Howard University School of Medicine, uh, and is presumably doing quite well there, but he uh, shadowed me, and uh, I was fortunate to be if not the first, one of the first African-American physicians he had ever spent time with shadowing and learning the ropes of the profession. And so um, it all boils down really to the creed of seeing what you want to be. Like I saw early on Dr. Hughes Dr. Brown, Dr. Bowman, 
Dr. Holman, and many others at Meharry and throughout my entire career to date. Still a young physician, still just getting started. I was immensely pleased to be that person for Quesi, who now has gone on to be accepted to medical school. So we cannot forget how we got into our profession as African-American men. We have to continue to encourage. We have to continue to be seen, be visible. And we have to continue to be at the table when it comes time to admit. We have to understand the importance of our moral and social conscience that we have to encourage African-American men to enter the profession of medicine, lest we die out. And so I've learned to date that it's not an option for me to mentor men who look like me. It's an obligation. Thank you for this opportunity. And I'm Earl Stewart, a black man in a white coat. Man, I told y'all that was going to be good. <laughs> I told y'all that that was going to be good. I mean, you have to feel him on that. You have to feel him on that. At the start of the episode, I told you that there was a, a general theme, which I thought was amazing um, throughout, throughout all of this. And that theme was the Ministry of Health or the Ministry of Providing Health. He talks about, early in the episode, he talks about his first exposure to the field of healthcare was as a junior deacon going out into the community to serve people. He talks about being at Meharry and watching a white physician pray. He talks about learning that you could be an excellent physician and serve people as a ministry at the same time in a very faith-based way, right? And this isn't, you, you guys by now have learned that, that a lot of people, I don't do this on purpose. I have no idea. I have zero idea usually about people's religious backgrounds before they do episodes. That has nothing to do with who's on this show. People reach out to me and say they want to be on the show. I might reach out to somebody and say they want to be on the show. I have no idea what people's religious background is. Okay, I'm, I myself am a Christian. I believe Jesus Christ as my savior, right? But I'm not pressing that on anybody else. I have no idea. So these people just come with the episode on what they say is what they say. And I'm perfectly fine with, with, with their religious backgrounds. But I just think it's so cool how he talks about this ministry, this ministry of providing health. And I was able to practice his faith, not push his faith on anybody. We don't do that. But I was able to practice his, his faith and his beliefs of serving other people through his job as a doctor. And that is the lens. If you didn't get it through this episode, go back and listen again. But that is the lens through which he views his career, that he is serving, 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 serving is his ministry. And my wife went to Meharry and actually I need, I need a check. I wonder if him and my wife were there around the same time. Sometimes they probably were there at the same time. Um, I spent tons of time at Meharry, right? So I know the history of Meharry and I actually adopted Meharry's motto, the worship of God through service of mankind, right? That's, that's my, that's my, one of my models that practice medicine is the worship of God through the service of mankind. 
you see that throughout Dr. Stewart's entire story. You see that through his stories. He's telling you, you can, you can almost feel how genuine he is with that. I think that's amazing. And the reason that's amazing, even if you're not a Christian, but what you're seeing is purpose. He has a purpose that's driving the way he delivers care. And when you have a purpose such as that, so powerful like that, to drive the way you deliver care, you are going to do the best you can for your patients. And that's why we're doctors at the end of the day. We want to do the best we can for people's health so people can have better lives. That's what it's about. Oh, it's getting me excited. I'm going to chill out here because it's getting me excited just thinking about it. Thinking about having a purpose-driven career. Purpose-driven career. What was that? Rick Warren had a book, Purpose Driven Life. I don't think I, I read part of it, but I never finished reading the book. But this, this whole idea of having purpose behind everything you do. You know, the reason I do Black Men and White Coats, the reason that I started DiverseMedicine.com, Diverse Medicine, you know, the nonprofit as well, and my books, everything I do is because my professional purpose is to develop tomorrow's leaders in medicine. So I'm focused on that. These podcasts are meant to develop the leaders of medicine tomorrow. Whether it's by inspiring another doctor to mentor, whether it's by letting a parent hear somebody's story, whether it's by letting a student hear the story. They're meant to help develop tomorrow's leaders of medicine. That's the purpose that gives me energy to keep on going. Similar to Dr. Stewart, my practice of medicine purpose is, is a much higher calling, faith-based. And throughout this entire episode, you just hear over and over and over how Dr. Stewart's delivery of healthcare is driven by this higher calling. Medicine. For you to be a good doctor, medicine's a calling. You got to feel that calling. Whatever it is that's calling you, right? Now, it doesn't have to be my same calling. It doesn't have to be Dr. Stewart's same calling. But something's got to be calling you, just giving you that strength and that purpose to go through and do your best for every single patient you take care of, no matter what they look like. We're here to serve people. Shout out to Dr. Earl Stewart. Thank you so very much for being on this podcast. Um, I really enjoyed the episode. I mean, I really, really enjoyed it. So I'm sure that the listeners enjoyed it as well. And on behalf of them, I just say thank you for taking the time to drop knowledge, uh, drop wisdom, and to be a guest on this show. I truly, truly do appreciate you for what you do. And personal invitation to you, Dr. Stewart, join DiverseMedicine.com. Please do. And please, you know, network with these pre-meds and network with med students and other people on the site and just be a guide and light for them. Thank you guys so very much for listening to this episode. Have an awesome Memorial Day weekend. Love you guys.